Hello, and welcome to another episode of Conversations. This is your host, Adam Rosh, and this is a really great episode for anyone who wants to learn about studying for high stakes exams or test taking in general. And instead of me doing this interview, I had the honor to be interviewed by Jessica Veal, who is a talented and motivated PA student at Duke University. You know, Jessica is the host of the wonderful podcast, The PA Process, and you can find this episode at The PA Process as well. In this interview, Jessica and I explore test-taking strategies, but not your ordinary test-taking strategies. We talk about some common learning theories such as retrieval practice, the test-taking effect, and elaboration, and uncommon ones such as the illusion of knowing. But where things get really good is in our discussion about things like how to digest large amounts of information, especially in the health professions, how studying failure can lead to greater success, engaging in self-talk to increase your test score, and one of my favorites, using the I'm an average test taker theory to answer the most difficult questions. Also, we'll see how to learn from the famous boxer Floyd Mayweather to feel confident on exam day. There's no one better to teach us about confidence than Floyd Mayweather and so much more. So if you are a student of any kind or someone who has to take a high stakes exam, I promise there is so much value in this episode. So I encourage you to set some time aside, turn up the volume, and listen to this wonderful conversation with Duke University PA student and host of the PA Process Podcast, Jessica Veal. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Jessica Veal and I'm the creator of the PA Process. This podcast is dedicated to giving advice to pre-PA students, connecting with current PA students, and anything related to the PA profession as a whole. Thanks for tuning in today and let's get started. Welcome everyone to season two, episode two of the PA process. On today's episode, my special guest is Dr. Adam Roche, an ER attending physician and the founder of the well-known question bank, Roche Review. He is here today to share tips on test taking preparation, strategies, and tactics. Welcome, Dr. Roche. Uh, it's great to be with you, Jessica, and it's uh, really wonderful to be able to uh, reach out and speak with uh, all the uh, great PA students uh, around the country. Thank you. So, um, Dr. Raj, as a current PA student, I'm quite familiar with Rosh Review and all that it has to offer. But for my listeners who may be unfamiliar with it, can you explain to them what it is and what your motivation was for creating such a useful study tool? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think most people are, who are in the health professions at some point in their career have taken a test, a standardized test certification exam at some point and have used a QBank, a question bank. And um, Rush Reviews, you know, at its core, it's it's a question bank, uh, but 
how that question bank is formulated and structured is very different uh, than I'd say than most types of question banks that, that people engage with. And it's not necessarily obvious on the surface. You know, I think mm-hmm. the attraction to question banks is based on uh, a lot of good data that we have on the testing effect or retrieval practice. That's another name for it, right? So mm-hmm. when we are uh, want to actually test our knowledge, because one thing we have to be very cautious of when we're studying is to avoid something called the illusion of knowing. So just reading something in a textbook and saying to yourself, I, I got this, I know it, uh, you're probably mm-hmm. lying to yourself in one way or the other. And the, mm-hmm. the way to solidify your knowledge is th- one of the ways, at least, is through the testing effect or using retrieval practice. And ultimately, uh, multiple choice exams are one of the best ways to do that. And so we get a question in a question bank and we quiz ourselves, and we have to then pull that information out of our brains. And every time we do that, your neurons are making stronger and stronger connections because you, you mm-hmm. whether you know it very well, the answer or not, you, you have to think really hard about it. Now, that's on, you know, as itself, the retrieval practice is really critical. What we've done at Rosh Review is to take that and amplify it. So okay. you have a question with answer choices, you use the testing effect, and then you have this explanation that comes after. And this is what a lot of people give us feedback about of why this is such a valuable resource for them uh, through their training. So essentially, these explanations, these comprehensive explanations are structured in a way that was built around how I studied. And this is okay. this this kind of goes back to uh, ultimately why this ended up being called Rosh Review. I, when, I, when I first started it, my wife, I named it something else. I named this product Next Step. And, okay. and my wife laughed at me and she said, no, you can't, it can't be Next Step. You have to make it Rosh review. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very, you know, I, I think I'm at least a modest person, although I'm sure I I have tons of flaws as well, but you know, we, we went with Rosh review because of the method of the content of, of how the content is put together. And so when you're reading the content in Rosh review, you may notice that it's very patternistic, believe it or not. And what we include for learners is content that is organized in a way that is logical. It's supportive. So it's one, each line kind of supports the other. uh, And it allows you to build connections as you're reading it. So this amplifies the concept of the testing effect and it takes it, it really provides a a one-two punch uh, for studying. So that's that's a long-winded answer to that question. <laughs> no, that's perfect. And I, it actually kind of falls into my next one. I suffered like my first semester of PA school from this illusion of mm-hmm. knowing that mm-hmm. you were referring to. You know, I battled with the need to make sure I reviewed every PowerPoint lecture, required reading, and then rarely found enough time to actually test myself on what I had studied. With mm-hmm. your method of Rosh Review or this question bank, I would love to hear your thoughts on how you incorporate, you know, passive learning and making sure you have the content knowledge 
with active learning? Absolutely. This is something that I would say the majority of students deal with uh, at some point in their career. In fact, I dealt with this probably up until my third year of undergrad. I didn't know how to learn, right? And so I set out on my own personal journey of learning how to learn. And it was because of that journey, it was due to that journey that books and education and learning became so valuable to me. And going through a health profession school, the amount of information is enormous, right? We, we all know that. And a lot of the traditional ways of engaging in that content has to do with highlighting and rereading and rewriting your notes uh, yeah. over and over again, right? And what's really fascinating is as much as I am in people's lives to help them pass exams and do well uh, in their classes, I also spend a lot of time studying failure. And I do that because I want to understand what are the behaviors that is leading to people not performing how I believe that they can perform. Because if you've made it this far, it's unlikely to be a medical knowledge issue or a knowledge issue in general, right? It's almost never the case. If you don't pass your pants, but you made it to PA school, I could, you know, 99% of the time, it's not a knowledge issue. Mm -hmm. It's something that you're doing right in your studying. And oftentimes we hear this line, we hear they're a great clinician. They're great with patients, but they just can't pass the exam. Right. And so that attracts me. I love to take a deeper dive into those situations and I'll sit. I often have many, many people that have reached out. And I think this is where the greatest impact comes for me in my personal life uh, in that I, because I struggled with similar things that I get to reach out and work with these people. So I I look forward to that. So uh, oftentimes if it's not due to a distraction at home, it's about how they're studying. And almost always it's the person says to me, yeah, I rewrite the notes over and over again until I know everything. And then I say to them, well, you think you know everything, right? Because it's in the a format and a context that is very familiar to you. And the minute you take it out of that context, you won't be able to answer that question. And that is exactly what an exam does. It takes the fact or the critical thinking out of the textbook page or the review book page, and it moves it into a different context. So you have to be very mindful of that when you're studying and preparing. And, and I think if you have time to prepare, like you're studying for a certification exam or you're in a classroom, you're studying for, let's say a rotation exam, it's okay to do a first round of, you know, note-taking a first round of reading, right? That's totally fine. You need to get familiar with it, but it's also the next step then is to employ educational techniques and theories that we know works. So some of the things that work for me, which I think works for other people as well, is while I'm reading, I will try and make connections in my brain. So not just digest the information that's being given to me, but start elaborating on that information. And what that means is to take details and to talk through it and start asking why, 
why is this the way it is? How do these things relate to one another? And to talk my way through it. In fact, you know, I'm working on a test taking course right now. And I was just doing some experimenting with it. And I opened up a review book, very popular review book that PA students use. Mm -hmm. And I just read pretty much one line, one or two lines. And from that, I was able to elaborate and create an understanding of topics that I never even thought about before. It was like osteomalacia and rickets. Uh, and I, yeah. and after years and years of, you know, just kind of thinking like I knew it, uh, I was able to build a really strong foundation around those topics. And, 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 you know, I won't go into details of that now, but it was, it was really eye opening. So things like elaboration, making connections, uh, will help get through, get past the illusion of knowing. The testing effect, though, is the number one way to get past the illusion of knowing, right? And that's why people love QBanks. And it's it's important, right? It's an important thing. Now, obviously, I have uh, a conflict of interest here, right? I have uh, a product that, right, we have QBanks. And so mm-hmm. I would say this, no, with or without uh, whether or not I was involved in Rosh View, but it's important that people know this, uh, that that, that mm-hmm. exists. But I think if you look at the science, that uh, using the testing effect will help you get past the illusion of knowing. You know, and what's even better is 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 reading something right maybe taking notes highlighting then doing then engaging in a QBank or the testing effect and then going mm-hmm. back to those notes and you're going to see things in a different light you're going to start understanding the material as opposed to just memorizing the material and one of the most important things that you could do in this process of study of, of reading notes, highlighting, engaging in a QBank is to write down or somehow make note for yourself of the areas and topics that you get wrong. Because what that is telling you is you don't know what you don't know, right? That's a classic, mm. classic statement. And the more and more you could document what you're getting wrong and then fix that, right? Study it, learn it. Mm -hmm. Eventually you're going to end up knowing so much more. And the amount of material that you don't know, you don't know is going to be so much less. And that is actually one of the tricks to performing well on any type of standardized or, you know, certification exam. The more time you have to identify your unknown unknowns, the higher likelihood that you're going to score high uh, and excel. That is great pointers. I, and I can personally vouch for that. Like I said, first semester, I was doing the, you know, just reading as much as possible, copying my um, notes. And then second semester, I really started to incorporate the question banks, Rosh review, and I could see the level of recall coming, um, improving. And like I could regurgitate some things, but when I would be asked a question, it would be difficult to, mm-hmm. you know, give an answer. And that's that illusion of mm-hmm. knowing you think you know something when you're studying studying it, but when you're asked the question, not being able to retrieve what you've been studying for so long. So I can definitely vouch for that. When it comes to taking the test, 
what approach do you take when reading exam questions? For example, some people say you should read the answer choices first. Some say read the first and the last sentence of the question. What have you found to be one of the more effective strategies? Yeah, so there, this is a very common question. And I think, you know, I think it's an important and it's a good question you're asking because so many people ask it. I think, though, it matters less than, than we think. So approaching an exam, the number one thing that is most beneficial, believe it or not, uh, is confidence. Right. If you go into an exam saying I'm going to fail, I don't know the material, uh, I, I don't I'm not confident, you're going to lose points. I mean, just the nature of your psychology. Uh, there's a lot of studies that show that the simple act of writing down or, or verbally reciting positive thoughts before an exam leads to increased score. And so, right, that's fascinating. I mean, you could apply that to lots of things in life, right? Especially in sports uh, and, and things like that. So, okay, that's that's the first thing I think in in a, in an actually like exam day. And you know, a lot of people, and I'll get to your direct question in a minute, but I think there's a couple other really important points. You know, the, the a lot of people talk about studying the last minute. Do I study on exam day? you know, or the day before, you know, how intense should I be studying as the exam is approaching? And, you know, there's a story about Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather, what, you know, some consider him one of the greatest boxers of all time. And, and I read an interview of him and the interviewer was uh, do, conducting the interview the day of a really, you know, popular, you know, really important boxing match for, for Mayweather. And, you know, the match was at like 7 p.m. The interview was at 11 a.m. And the interviewer asked them, they're like, you know, aren't you nervous? And you're just, you're just on the couch here talking to me. You're walking around, you know, you're watching TV, you're laughing, you know, you're playing ping pong. <laughs> and F Floyd Mayweather said, essentially, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, is, you know, all my training was already done. How I performed today was decided weeks ago. I just need to show up. And that's very powerful. What I take away from that is when you're preparing for an exam, you've spent weeks to months preparing for it. And therefore, don't try and, you know, pack in last minute studying, you know, the morning of the exam, the night before the exam. It's much more important to be relaxed clear your mind and to think positive thoughts when you're entering into that exam. So that that's kind of everything before the exam, as far as during the exam and how you, you know, analyze or read questions. You know, I started off by saying, I think it's much less in, in important. There's no one right way. And you could read, everyone has the best way to do it. All right. The best way needs to be your way. All right. So okay. I think, you know, intuitively for me, if, if I have a very long question vignette, uh, I may read the last sentence, right? What's called typically the lead in to the sentence, just so it gives me context, right? And if a question has to do with, let's say the management of something, and I start reading this long vignette and I realize right away that this patient has, you know, acute pancreatitis, 
then I'm going through in my mind as I'm reading the management of acute, what do I know about the management of acute pancreatitis? And I'm looking for clues in the question. So that's one maybe advantage of skipping to the question leading on a long uh, vignette. And um, yeah, so, and, and I think that's really the only time that we would have to do something because one line questions, just read the one line, two line questions, just, just read the one line. You know, a lot of people talk about maybe reading the answer choices first. And I don't think it's unreasonable to do that. Personally, I love guessing the answer choice before I actually look at the answer choices, right? So as you're reading the vignette, you start thinking about it, uh, what the theme is, what the topic is. And then when you get to the lead in, you know exactly what the question is being asked. And then I say in my head, okay, what, what's the answer? And then I look to see if the answer is there, because if that happens, you know, your gut is almost always right. And that makes answering that question very easy, especially when let's say I end up narrowing it down to two answer choices. I always go with what my gut tells me. And that's, that was going to be another question. It's like, often I hear people say, I can narrow down to two answers but then once I get there, I can't really decide which one to choose. Like they both seem right. Is there anything that you can yeah. advise? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. look, if you could get it down to two answers, you're doing great. Like 50-50, I'll take that every time, uh, you know, if you don't know it, obviously. So there's there's a few different ways you could go about this, right? If you absolutely have no idea, like there's no other hint uh, that what the answer is, there's like non-knowledge tricks that you could do. Uh, for example, longer answer choices are sometimes correct, right? Over shorter answer choices, right? There's things like that. And I've written about this stuff in blogs. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if, if I took a, a, a test on, you know, rocket science, you know, you know, launching a rocket to the moon, like, I could probably figure out some of the answers just simply by how the answer choices are written because people, you know, we have to remember these tests are written by humans and humans make mistakes and humans have mm -hmm. patterns. Uh, so you could, you could take advantage of some of those things. Uh, the other way to think about this, and this is, this is something that I actually just did a, an entire lecture on this for this course if a question seems really hard, then we have to remember when someone creates an exam, when an exam is created, right? It's created by humans. And therefore there needs to be different levels of difficulty for questions. And that has to be the case, right? Because that's how you differentiate. Mm -hmm. So if you have a really difficult question, you could think about it this way. If you are, what would the average student, how would the average student answer that question and then choose the other one. Okay. It, it, <laughs> okay. Just think about that. Okay. Right? It, if, if you are the average student and you have a really hard question, then it's hard for a reason and you are likely to get it wrong. And so you choose the one that you think is not the right answer. Or if you don't know, right? Like which mm -hmm. one would you choose? Choose right. the one that you don't think it is. So that's one way to do it, but that also works in, in, in the opposite, right? So if you have a question that seems like, oh, this is, this is straightforward. Like this seems like a pretty easy question. 
and the average person will get it right. But you're actually a really good, you know, your, your knowledge base is really strong. Oftentimes those people Mm -hmm. outsmart themselves, right? And they overthink questions. And so you have to remember for a average question, that means almost everyone is going to get it right. So don't outthink yourself. Go with what is the obvious answer, right? Don't outthink yourself. So those are two kind of strategies that you could employ on answering questions. Like if you don't know it right away, if you want to think about tactics like this. Okay. When you're going through the exam um, and if time permits, do you feel it's best for you to review all of your questions, only the flag questions or only unanswered questions, which you have to review? I believe you should use all the time allotted to you if necessary reviewing questions is really important um, because you're going to pick up on small you're going to pick up on a mistake so i would go through every single question if possible and look most of the time right a 75 of the questions like you probably know really well and you don't need to spend much time on it as far as changing questions that's a whole nother whole nother situation you have to be super careful about that and you have to, here's, here's kind of my take on this. It's, it's almost like test yourself before you do it. So some things that I did, and, and I'll give an example of this in clinical practice. Whenever I would see a patient with abdominal pain and I suspected appendicitis, I would make a note. I would say, okay, my gut is telling me that this is appendicitis. And what's my, what's my likelihood? How sure am I? What's my certainty that this patient has appendicitis? Am I 100% or am I 50%? And I'd make a note. And then after the CAT scan, I would refer back to my notes. And I would do this to hone in kind of my gestalt, right? I would say, if I'm feeling like this patient has appendicitis, I, you know, using these kind of instinctual, types of uh, feelings um, and and I'm consistently right, that kind of starts building my gestalt. And it's the same thing with changing items on a test. So, you know, you look at it on previous tests, like when I change things, am I getting it right or am I getting it wrong? And you could kind of think about that over time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if it's your first exam that you've taken, you haven't taken one in a while, you're not going to be able to do that. So, I say, I always say, go with your gut. Okay. You don't want to overthink things. And usually your gut will be saying which one to go with. You have to listen to it. It's telling you it for a reason. And what's interesting is it's your subconscious speaking to you. And that subconscious, it was formulated. Those, those thoughts were formulated while you were studying and doing things and engaging in things like the testing effect. And those were neurons that were built mm-hmm. and solidified uh, as you were studying. And it's trying to tell you what's right. So uh, I think when in doubt, go with your gut. And, and uh, that's, the best, that's the best approach, at least for me. Yeah, yeah. And I think I had the going through and taking tests kind of had that same thing. Like I would 
go back through, review mm-hmm. my answers, and for a while, changing an answer here or there worked well for me. And then it came to a point where changing answers <laughs> stopped working well. And so then I said, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to stop changing answers unless I misread the question completely or you know left something out or selected the wrong answer. So I kind of get the understanding of if it's working for you, <laughs> continue to do it if you feel like you know. But if it stops working and you're getting more questions yeah, wrong. I, I think it's a great it. approach. So then, you know, we, we kind of talked about a little bit like the certification exams and the pants. And for those exams, pretty much everything is fair game. Um, and utilizing question banks are definitely, you know, very high yield. What have you found to be some best strategies for studying for like the certification exam or studying for a shelf exam or something like that when pretty much everything can be tested? You know, I think one important takeaway when it comes to education and exams is that you start studying for your exam the first day of school or residency or or training, whatever it is that you're doing. You start your first day. And if you wait two years and just start studying for your certification exam at the end of your training program, uh, you have a greater hill to climb, a greater battle in front of you. When I started residency training, one of the first things I did was find a graduating resident, a fourth year resident at the time. And I asked that resident, I said, Mm -hmm. looking back, what would you tell yourself, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself as an intern? And I listened very carefully. And the number one thing universally across everyone I asked was read from day one. And I never realized how challenging that was going to be to read from day one, but it is, it, I just, right. It kept kind of echoing in my mind. And so it's something that Mm -hmm. I am so grateful for that I was disciplined enough to do and reading from day one. And it was, it was hard, right? My first two years of residency training, I was insecure Uh, people, I came into an environment and a program where people were smarter, they had more experience, uh, and I felt very insecure, but I was the one kind of reading every day. And a lot of people may have not for, for whatever reason, you know, it's, it's a challenging thing to do. And eventually my comp, my knowledge base built up, I felt, and then, you know, what I was seeking was to feel confident, so to feel equal uh, with everyone mm-hmm. else, and and that's my own right personal feeling. No one made me, you know, not feel equal uh, uh, as far as knowledge goes. So, mm-hmm. so I think um, preparing for anything starts at day one. When you have just okay. a prodigious amount of information, uh, it means that trying to memorize everything is going to be challenging and and um, not going to be effective what becomes important is that you learn as much as you can and understand as much as you can because if you could understand the key principles and tenets of certain uh, pathologies 
you could extrapolate that information and that knowledge to be able to solve other questions based on that. So you could use your knowledge to eliminate answer choices because you understand what's being asked. And you could use your knowledge to affirm answer choices because you understand it. That makes a lot of sense. And then this question actually... Um someone wanted me to ask regarding test taking and it was what advice do you have for individuals that just Mm -hmm. suffer from test anxiety this is a great question it's a real thing that plagues a lot of people and there's a couple ideas that i would share one is to put yourself as close as possible into the same situation before you take your exam. So as you're studying and preparing for an exam, try and simulate the same environment. So maybe reserve a mock exam or some type of question set where you're sitting in front of a computer or you have a sheet of paper in front of you, however your exam is going to be administered. Isolate yourself, go into a quiet room. If you're going to wear earplugs, put them in. Simulate the exact testing environment and practice that way. So in the weeks leading up to your exam, just you know, try and do that. And that will help you be ready for you know your exam day. I think the another idea could be to do fear setting exercises. And this is something that I do not just for, let's say, exams, but in making decisions in my life and taking risks and or what I think are risks, uh, you know, saying to myself, uh, you know, what is the worst case scenario in these situations? And, you know, if I fail, uh, what have I learned? What will be an advantage? What other opportunities could come from this? And to do fear setting, and you could just type into Google fear setting, uh, and you'll get, you know, the first five websites that will come up. I believe there's some really good ones. It's just an exercise that I like to do whenever, whenever I'm worried about making a decision and you could apply that for taking an exam. And then I think the other, the last idea is talking, staying positive up into your exam and through your exam. I started off, I already mentioned this, and I think it's a very powerful message. Even if you, like, for example, wrote down a paragraph about all the amazing things that you've done in your life or in the last two years, let's say, write them down like you're journaling. And that act of doing that, the act of retrieving those experiences, those positive experiences will build confidence in you. And you could seamlessly transition from doing something like that right into your exam. And, you know, then there's the, the standard kind of anti-anxiety behaviors of deep breathing, meditation. Uh, you know, I, I use the Headspace app at home. Uh, it's wonderful. I do it with my children. And uh, before exams... I haven't taken an exam in a long time. I mean, three, three years or so. I haven't taken a formal certification exam. My last one was in emergency medicine and I still got nervous, right? Uh, but I was able to, one of the things that I do mm-hmm. is right before I start the exam, I'll take a minute, maybe two, 
and do some slow, deep breathing. And I do that for a few reasons. One, I want to clear out all my carbon dioxide, right? In my dead space in my lungs, because I want my brain to have as much oxygen as possible. Uh, because you, your brain, right? I, I know my brain is about to go into overdrive. Uh, so I want to supply it with fuel. And so, you know, that's one, you know, the the benefit of it and then also it's just it's a calming effect and you want to be calm right calm uh you know calm is cool in a sense uh, you know we in in medicine right sometimes when when the stress level goes up right our our response needs to go down uh to counterbalance these situations and that's you know so true when there's you know, a trauma, when there's a code, right? You see the chaos in the room and it's the person who is the calmest is always the one who commands the situation. And that's no different in taking an exam. You want to go in all like Floyd Mayweather, right? He, he went into his fights, just what, what I've, what I'm, I'm prepared. I did everything. And now we'll see the outcome. The same idea there. Uh, with test anxiety. Those are really great <laughs> suggestions. Like I'm going to have to use some of those um, myself. Uh, so I just want to thank you again for being on the podcast. Um, before we end, I just wanted to ask, so as someone like myself, that you, you mm -hmm. told me that, you know, you experienced some rejection before, you know, being accepted um, into medical school, what advice would you give someone that's listening, that's applying for PA school, med school, yeah. Duke never accepted me into any of their programs. So you've already gone way much further uh, than anything I've done. So, uh, you know, I took the MCAT, gosh, I think maybe three times even, you know, twice, three times. It was during a time where I wasn't ready. Okay. I, I wasn't ready uh, uh, emotionally. Okay. My maturity level wasn't where it needed to be when I first took it. Uh, and it showed. And in fact, you know, eventually I scored well enough that, that I got into medical school. Um, and, and I learned so much from, from that experience. And I think one of the main takeaways is you may be qualified. You just may be one of many people who are qualified, right? And uh, it's not because you're not qualified that you didn't get in, let's say, uh, to a program. Uh, and, and I think there needs to be some pragmatism on everyone, right? Rejection, right? You need to be pragmatic and just ask yourself, like, is this what I want? Uh, or is this what I think I want? Because if it's what I want, mm -hmm. then don't hesitate a second, right? You need to just, you know, you know, get up and get back moving into what you're trying to achieve. But I think a rejection also allows you to question your motives. And it's an opportunity to pivot to maybe something else that you think you may, you may want to do instead. However, if you were the person, and I was in this boat for sure, where you don't initially get what you're looking for, or what you're aiming for, let's say it's an acceptance into a program. In the time frame after the letter telling you, you, you don't get in, uh, you need to think about how could you improve? 
right? Because you can't do the same exact thing over and over again, right? I think it was Einstein who called that insanity. You you need right. to use that as a as a moment right. of growth, <laughs> and that's totally fine because you will become a better person with more skills, more network, uh, you know, greater network. And uh, uh, some other opportunity will come up as well. So I think it's just, it's very emotionally challenging to grapple with rejection, no matter what it is. You go through, you know, anger, Mm -hmm. fear, guilt, sadness, all of those things will happen. And that's a totally normal response. And I think there is a time that if people, you know, for mourning, right, you should mourn uh, that, you know, I didn't like, I didn't get it, but you right. pick yourself up and you ask yourself, you know, okay, wh- what can I do now to add to m- who I am uh, so that this school or program sees me in a little different way that they see uh, that I am motivated to do this. Now, I was on the other end of this. I not only have I been a student, but I've been a program director. Uh, So I was a uh, assistant program director for Mm. three years and a program director of the emergency medicine residency. And so every year, and even as chief resident at Bellevue at at New York University, I was part of the uh, residency selection committee there. And right, you have to create a rank list, and I have to interview, you know, hundreds of people, every mm-hmm. hundreds of student medical students every year. And it's right. It's no dare. I mean, any health profession school goes through the same thing. And so I, there are some programs and people mm-hmm. who are on selection committees who may only look at grades and may only look at, uh, you know, a test score. I think that's a little short-sighted. I think many of the people who make the best clinicians are the ones who went through failure and it's how they dealt with that failure. That is always so meaningful. Uh, And and if you could, like from, from the program director standpoint, if you could identify those people who struggled for whatever it is and came through that adversity, those people will uh, be, you know, always self-motivated. They will work extremely hard and they will Mm -hmm. not give up. Life is full of setbacks. Life is full of roadblocks. And uh, that's never, ever going to change. What we have the power to do is how we react after a setback and we have a choice, there's always a choice. And if we choose to keep going forward and to, and to find another way around that obstacle, right? If the Ryan holiday wrote a really great book called the obstacle is the way, right? How do you use the setback to your advantage? And this needs to be, uh, for anyone who has or currently going through a setback like that, I encourage you to read uh, this book, The Obstacle is the Way, 
I employ it in so many decisions uh, in my life. And uh, it's, it's a really wonderful way to manage uh, adversity. Well, thank you. <laughs> I could not have said that better myself. Um, <laughs> I think that was well said. And I feel like it would really resonate with a lot of people who are experiencing setbacks. And I get messages all the time. They're like, I don't know if I can do this. Things are getting difficult. Um, and I think you, you made a lot of good points that, you know, a lot of individuals that can come or overcome adversities or setbacks, a lot of times like those individuals, the perseverance really shows and they're going to go after it. Um, and I, and your inspirational talk regarding this, as well as all of the strategies for test taking um i really appreciate and i know my listeners will as well so thank you yeah you bet hey guys this is adam thanks again for listening if you like this episode please go to iTunes and rate the podcast and leave a review. Every positive review helps. Also, remember to subscribe to the podcast so you automatically get episodes downloaded to your podcast library. Please send any questions or feedback to the email conversations at roshreview.com. If there's someone you have in mind who you'd like for me to have a conversation with, please let me know. Don't forget to check out the Rosh blog at roshreview.com backslash blog for more excellent content. And if you are a student, a PA, nurse practitioner, or doctor who is in a training program or residency or has an upcoming exam, take a look at roshreview.com and sign up for a free trial. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you at the next episode. So long.